0: Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice and profit. You'll learn new, innovative and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits.
1: Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author and Property Investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. Now, I'm doing something a little bit different in this podcast because you may remember in episode 82, I interviewed my long standing contact in property, Mr. Alistair Devine, who was a mortgage broker. And Alistair and myself, we actually go back a long way. Alistair was helping me raise money 10 years ago. So we've been together, as it were, quite a long time. And I know he knows his stuff. And if you listen to episode 82, we talk very specifically about buy-to-let mortgages, raising finance through buy-to-let mortgages, what buy-to-let lenders want to look for. We also then go on to bridging and we touch on development finance. But I wanted to take this further because the reality of property is that probably the best way of doing property is to buy properties where you can add value. Now, in our world, usually adding value is by way of a refurb. And a refurb can be as big or as small as the project actually requires and as big or as small as your experience allows it to be. But at a very basic level, a refurb, probably for our purposes for a buy-to-let property, for example, is going to be kitchen, bathroom redecorating and new carpets. It may need other bits and pieces. It may need a spot of replastering here and there. It may need a bit of rewiring. It may need new windows. But the basic core of the refurb is probably going to be kitchen, bathroom, decorating and carpets. But getting finance for that type of project isn't always that straightforward. So I thought it would be really useful to talk to Alistair specifically about raising money, particularly buy-to-let finance, for properties which require a bit of work doing to them. So please go make yourself a cup of tea, grab a couple of biscuits, put your feet up and listen to this. And I should say, by the way, I'm going to make the same offer that I made in episode 82. If you want to get in touch with Alistair, I'm more than happy to put you in touch with Alistair. But what I would ask is that you email me and you need to email me at thepropertyteacher at gmail.com. Let me just repeat that. The property teacher at gmail.com and don't just send me an email saying, Can you send me Alistair's details? which would be short and to the point, I agree, but just tell me a little bit about yourself. Maybe just, you know, half a dozen bullet points about your. Uh, journey in property to date, what your experience is and what you want to talk to Alistair about. Because with the best will in the world, I don't want people just getting in touch with me and asking for Alistair's details just because they fancy having a chat. I think there needs to be a little bit more to it than that. So if you've got existing properties that you want to remortgage, or if you're just about to buy a property and you want to raise some finance on it, then Alistair's your man. So just drop me a very brief email with some bullet points, just giving me a your experience, if you have any, and if you don't have any, that's fine by the way. But what you actually want to talk to Alistair about, as, as in, for example, I want to raise finance on a buy to let property, that's it, simple as that. The property teacher at gmail.com. Now, one final warning before we actually do crack on with listening to this. Sorry, I keep jumping back and getting so excited, I'm getting ahead of myself. Just like episode 82, I have to warn you that because Alistair lives in the back of Beyond, he's up in Scotland, but I don't know, and a bit, I don't know where he is. It was, I didn't actually manage to get him into the studio to talk to him, and so I've interviewed him over the phone, and I'm going to be honest, the sound quality is not brilliant. If you remember episode 82, I said I was almost tempted not to release the podcast, but a few of you emailed me saying it was okay, I know it's not the best You don't have to email me saying the sound quality is not good. I know the sound quality is not that good. But if we battle through that, I'm sure that you'll learn some great tips. So I think on balance, it's worth putting it out there. So finally, for the last time, here he is. Enjoy Alistair.
2: Hi, I'm Peter Jones, charter surveyor, author and property investor, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Alastair Devine. Hi, Alistair, how are you? Hi, very well. Peter, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well, very well. Now, Alastair, as my favorite mortgage broker, I'm going to be picking your brains today all about how I can buy properties and refurbish them, which uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to be very, very interested in because my principal strategy in property in the years gone by has been to buy a property that needs some work doing to it, perhaps like a little bit of a refurb in a new bathroom, kitchen, decorations, carpets, that sort of thing, what I guess a bank would call a light refurb, uh-huh. and then having done the works, refinance it when the work's done, to get out as much of my money as I can. Yeah. Now, in the old days, I used to buy them with a mortgage. Nowadays, I'm in the happy position of be able to buy them cash, but for anybody who's listening, is it still possible to do that kind of thing? Is it still possible to buy them with a buy-to-let mortgage? Uh,
3: short, short answer is yes. Uh, you can do it either through a traditional buy-to-let mortgage, but um, the caveat we're using a buy-to-let mortgage for uh, a property that requires a degree of refurbishment is the habitability issue. Uh, most, most buy-to-let lenders will um, consider the property but only if it's habitable on on the date of completion or rather when they're Valley Riggers are going to inspect it for them. Now, for properties that aren't habitable and require a degree of refurb, be it light or heavy, then there are methods in which you can secure funding. Um, we, we have one particular lender who is fairly innovative. They've got a, a buy um, a bridge-to-let finance product, um, which has been used to great effect for, for, for light refurb and, indeed, heavy refurb uh,
2: proposals. Okay, well, we'll come to that in, in a moment. Let's just explore this whole idea of habitability. Because I know that the banks, actually, there's, there's no hard and fast rules on this, is, yeah. which is very frustrating. Yeah. Each bank seems to have either different criteria, or ultimately it all depends on what the valuer says when they go around yeah. to the property,
3: and they have their yeah. own ideas. Yeah. I mean, my, my view on that is, is, is absolutely the banks lean very heavily on what the valuer has are. You know, some particular lenders will, will have some form of calculation which they don't disclose to brokers or customers, but as a rule of thumb, some of them will use any retention amounts um, as not suitable. Uh, others will um, uh, allow up to 10% of the value through a retention amount as being suitable. But from my experience, certainly if the property is habitable that generally um, relies on is there a kitchen, is there a bathroom, is it watertight, is it windtight. It's not so much the focus on the, the actual decor or the condition internally, but whether it's got all the basic services uh, and whether it's windtight or watertight, would it pass habitability? Um, and uh, if that being the case, then it should theoretically be um, regarded as suitable for buy-to-let mortgage lending, assuming it's habitable in the value eyes. Now, this is very interesting, and I don't want to
2: drone on because obviously I've, I've got you on the phone and you're the expert, but a, a couple of examples that just spring to mind from my own personal experience of this. Somebody who I was mentoring a while back went out and bought himself an absolutely horrible property mm-hmm. in the sense that it was a perfect property for what we're describing. It was horrible in the sense that I think some old person had lived there and they mm-hmm. hadn't done anything to the property for years and it had damp, and it had rot. In the end, because my contact is actually a builder, he pretty much took it back to the sort of the bare brick, back to shell condition. But unbelievably, he managed to buy that using a buy-to-let mortgage, whereas you'd think it was totally uninhabitable. I think the only thing which stopped anybody falling through the rotten floors was <laughs> the carpet it was quite thick, and it really was that bad. But the value didn't bash an eyelid, and he got his buy-to-let loan. Uh, Whereas the healthy. contrast to that is I tried to buy a property a couple of years back which was not, it wasn't a great property and it needed a bit of a refurb. Uh, but somebody was living there so it was clearly habitable. But the value actually had turned it down before I bought the property for another couple who wanted to buy it on the grounds that the kitchen it wasn't up to scratch. But I mean, it was, it was it was an old kitchen, but it was a functional kitchen. And it, and it kind of like just highlights to me that really, as you know, long as it's short, it's, it's, it's a bit of a lottery.
3: Well, I suppose it's in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? And ultimately, in any mortgage or bridging type situation, um, the, the valuer is, 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 is basically the key driver as to whether they view it um, as habitable or not. And you know yourself, you, you put 10 surveyors in a room, you're likely to get 11 different opinions, aren't you? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yes. Yeah.
2: So have you had any experiences recently of of valuers being either very generous or or very picky
3: over properties? Oh, I've had valuers being picky since day dot, I'll be honest, including the the heyday and the the Great Recession. Um, Yes, I mean, it's a common theme um, that I have to deal with, um, habitability issues um, with with valuers. And indeed, they, they, they really do vary from individual surveyors not necessarily the lender um, because you, you know lenders use panels um, of surveyors and you know ultimately you, you can get uh, the same property attracting wildly different views from certain surveyors absolutely very frustrating because it means obviously when we was an application and we're not quite sure what's going to happen. No, and that, that, that's why in any application we always stress it, it, it's subject to valuation. But if the property um, is, you know, if, if somebody's looking to buy it and they're in a degree of um, confusion as to whether it would fit habitability or not, then there are other solutions other than a traditional buy-to-let mortgage. Uh, yeah. I mentioned the bridge-to-let product, yeah. which assumes the property is going to be in some state of um, disrepair and will require either light or heavy refurb to bring it up to habitability standards. Um, and at that point, obviously, the um, client or the applicant can can look to refinance on a buy-to-let mortgage once the refurb's been done.
2: Yes, well, we will, we will come to that. But you mentioned earlier, and I think this is an interesting point, which I'd like to talk about a little bit more, As there is about the whole idea of the retention. Because if the valuer goes around and doesn't like the property, then they've really got three options, Something not they? They either just turn it down, that's it, full stop. You're not getting yeah. any loan at all. Or they could come up with maybe a full retention, as in you can borrow the money, but you only get the money once the work's done. Or yeah. they could put on a smaller retention, which, as you say, could be up to about 10%. Of
3: the price of the property or the cost of the work. Um, g- generally speaking, now, some lenders are happy provided the retention is no more than ten percent of the value uh, right. of the property. Yeah. yeah. Other lenders will employ will, will different um, calculations, and in fairness, that's generally not disclosed to brokers or, or applicants. Um, Certainly, retentions from a buy select point of view, if it's anything significant, that generally means the traditional buy to lenders will insist on the works being done prior to release of funds, which kind of defeats the entire purpose, because clearly people won't be able to complete if the works have to be done. Yes, you'll have to have some kind of cash up, up your sleeve. Yeah, and also you you, you add into the mix the fact if the work has to be done prior to completion, Mm. then, you know, the person selling you the property is going to be a bit reluctant, letting work in to do the work when there isn't a legal uh, contract in place to sell the property.
2: Yes, indeed,
3: indeed. So it
2: could could get quite awkward, but obviously it can be done because I've done it and I know plenty of other people who have done it as well, but you've also got to have a good you through this just in case anything does sort of happen which is going to try and derail the process but presumably ultimately if the valuer goes around and declines the property if you had to you could just
3: make an application to another bank you 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 could do and indeed in in some cases a different valuer will be instructed and may have a, a completely different um calculation or indeed in some cases not even recommend a retention of sure. Most lenders, not all though, um, have a minimum six-month ownership um, requirement prior to remortgaging. Um, now, some lenders are fairly um, innovative in the sense that they will allow a refinancing within the 6 months ownership period, but generally speaking, it will be restricted to the original purchase price uh, plus the cost of documented work, and I do stress documented work. In other words, Uh, they'll they'll want to see evidence of invoices um, paid out in in respect of any work undertaken. That being the case, then we do have lenders who will refinance properties before the six-month minimum period is is elapsed. Of course, at the end of six months, once the person's owned the property, then they can refinance and remortgage with any lender uh, on a buy-to-let basis with the exception of one or two who insist on 12 months. Oh, is that right? I didn't realize that. That's quite yeah, harsh, it, isn't it? it? It is quite harsh, but by and large, certainly from my experience, most of the lenders idea deal with, it, it's a six-month uh, minimum ownership. Um, there's two, possibly three, who will consider refinancing within the six-month period, um, but they limit that to the original purchase price plus the cost of documented refurb work they've done. Which
2: is handy if that will help, but obviously yep. with, with my coming plan, what I want to do is, say, for argument's sake, buy a property for 60000 spend 10000 on it, and then have it valued up at eighty, dollars 80, $90,000, or even a hundred, <clears throat> where I can then yep. get my money back out. So, yep. in, that, in that terms, I would have to obviously wait the six six months
3: before I even start that process to have any if, chance. If look, is, yeah, it, it, yeah, if you're looking to refinance against the market value, and in, in, in that scenario, let's say there's an uplift in the um, market value, then by and large, from a buy-to-let refinancing point of view, you would have to wait um, a six-month um, period um, if if you're wanting to refinance against the genuine market value. Yes
2: there's a little bit of
3: controversy
2: in in the property world as to the best way to do this, because the next stage would obviously be to refinance, but there's a lot of debate as to whether you should refinance using your existing lender, which I guess would be like having a further advance on your existing mortgage, or whether you just say, right, I'm gonna go off to a completely (laughs) new lender and refinance completely. Do you
3: you have any views on that, Alex? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, because if you go back to the original lender, The odds are it will be the same surveyor who goes in to value it post-refurb. Now, my experience is most surveyors who go around to visit the property six months after um, they visited will probably be fairly pessimistic as far as the uplift is concerned. Uh, And almost always, in my experience, uh, the last for the documented um, invoices, the cost of the work done. Uh, and they'll reflect whatever the costs of improvement are uh, in their, their uh, renewed valuation. Whereas if you were to go to a, a new lender with a new set of eyes from a new valuer, my view is certainly the uh, y- your chances of getting the uplifted market value is probably stronger in that respect rather than going back to the original source. But ultimately, if you've got a mortgage... Um, more often than not, you'll be tied in to early repayment charges. Um, so you have to factor that into any calculation, whether you look to refinance for the new lender or remain with your current one. Um, if it's a fairly hefty early repayment charge, uh, and a lot of them are up to 5% year one, then it, it may well be sensible to remain with the current lender and take out a further advance against the new value or the post refurb value. Indeed. Now, one
2: thing which I have heard being mentioned by people who know this kind of stuff is the suggestion that if you do try and go away to a different lender, the first lender is going to get upset and could almost accuse you of mortgage fraud if you knew that you're only going to want to keep the loan for a few months because you're going to refinance away. I've never ever come across that before, and I've never actually had any problems refinancing away to a different lender. But, I mean, things change, the market changes, the way banks see things change. Have you had any experience of that? What are your views on that, Alistair?
3: Not, not direct experience, but I, I do know from speaking to banks, they, they're very um, keen to avoid what they would regard, and I stress what they regard, as buy-to-let speculative trading. Mm. Uh, in other words, people buying properties with a view to... Um, long-term let when they uh, enter the application and then flipping them six months later on a Mm -hmm. continual basis. Now, if that happens, um, you know, uh, we're we're talking minimum four or five times a year every year, then potentially uh, lenders will see that and and question it as to why you're redeeming all these mortgages. Um, But if you're simply refinancing and the rationale behind that is to get out the equity, due to uplift in value, then you could put forward a very powerful argument as to, um, you know, why, you know, that's part of your strategy to go on to buy additional properties, your existing lender restricted it um, due to various rules uh, and possibly a down valuation. So, yes, it could potentially happen if you're doing it on a, a persistent basis, but if you're doing it on a, a it, you know, once or twice a year, I, I don't personally think that will um, raise too many questions. That's my own view.
2: Yes. Yes. Well, I have to say, having done it many, many times, nobody's ever questioned it. But as I say, things change, and, and ideas on these things change. But one thing which I seem to remember in the back of my mind, I we <laughs> spoke about this maybe five or six years ago, is that some lenders have products which you can port, as they call it. In other yes. words, move from one property to another anyway. Yeah. Is are they still available? Does that still happen?
3: Yeah, more often than not, possibilities inbuilt with most buy-to-let mortgages, and typically what that means is, that as long as you're borrowing the same amount or more, uh, and provided the new application goes into your existing lender for the new property within anything between three to six months, then any early repayment charge will be waived because you're in effect transferring that mortgage onto the new property. But it is subject to application, and clearly it will be subject to valuation and legals for the new property. So assuming they're all uh, assessed positively and the application's approved, then most buy-to-let mortgages, um, certainly the ones we recommend, have a portability option uh, built in. Not all of them, but most of them. Yeah. Okay, so that would, be, that would be quite helpful.
2: So let, let's just have a think about some of the ways in which we can actually structure a deal to make make this happen, if, if it's possible to make it happen. For example, if I was to perhaps try and make life a little bit easier, and instead of buying the property using a buy-to-let mortgage to start with, but I went off and I bought it all cash, maybe I was able to, I don't know, borrow, borrow the money off a kind relative or even off a, uh-huh. a business partner, if I no. bought the property all cash, then did the refurb, and then six months down the line refinanced
3: it, would the bank have a problem with that? No, not in my experience, no, Peter. As long as you can evidence the source of funds originally used to purchase it, uh, and presumably the the lawyer will do that as part of their due diligence at the initial purchase stage, um, then it, there's nothing um, that, that, that I can see of that lenders will... Um, you don't put barriers up to prevent your refinancing against the value, provided you've owned it for a minimum period of six months. Yes.
2: But the irony is, isn't it, that, that you, can do, you can do this using all cash to buy the property. But if you tried to borrow just the deposit from, say, a kind friend... Yeah, most banks would throw their hands up
3: in horror at that, wouldn't they? They they, they would, and they would insist on uh, either a gifted deposit template letter, uh, basically waiving um, any um, rights for repayment for the gift. Um, to be documented, which clearly, if somebody's borrowing you the money, they might be reticent um, waiving the right. So, gifted deposits generally expect uh, generally are okay from a lending perspective, provided there's a link. Um, if it's a, if it's a loan being used to fund the deposit, then most lenders will regard that as additional borrowing, um, and therefore they would probably decline the application on the basis that um, the the applicant's borrowing the deposit. Uh, and that does happen uh, an awful lot, where uh, cases are um, fund- uh, deposits are being funded through bank loans or loans from uh, family, stroke,
2: friends. Yeah, it's is ironic, isn't it? Because uh, the idea of, of borrowing one hundred percent of the purchase price, doing the work, and then refinancing—they don't bat an eyelid—but you actually borrow a proportion of it. I uh-huh. don't like that at all. But there's that's who, bank who, employee, who, who, there? who said you get
3: banks and logic, though, Peter?
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> A similar, a similar kind of question, really. What, what if I had equity in my own home or if I had equity in other buy-to-let properties and I refinance that out? Could I then use that as a deposit for my next buy-to-let purchase?
3: Absolutely, yes. I mean, most, most lenders that certainly we deal with at Property Investment Finance, almost all of them um, are quite happy to see further investment in ongoing property acquisitions through funding of deposits or outright purchases. Um, where it gets slightly complex is if you've got any portfolio in the background or any existing buy-to-let commitments. For example, if you're refinancing uh, a buy-to-let, then one of the things you'll have to be aware of or your listeners will have to be aware of is that banks in the background and lenders in the background will want to stress test any uh, rental income against uh, a stress test rate um, assumed against the mortgage borrowings. So as long as that satisfies um, lenders' requirements, uh, and typically the stress rates are as high as 5.5%, then that could be done. Um, but the stress testing has actually um, its actually strengthened um, from the banking perspective since October when the new PRE assessment rules came into play, affecting landlords with four or more mortgage properties. So as long as the affordability and the stress testing can be uh, assessed positively, then further borrowing um, to fund um, future buy-to-let acquisitions are absolutely acceptable. Perfect.
2: Excellent. Now, that's doing it using buy-to-let, so there's obviously a route to do it using buy-to-let finance, but you mentioned earlier the idea of a, a bridge-to-let. So how, how does that work, Alistair?
3: Well, the the bridge-to-let very simply works, for, works extremely well for properties which are deemed uninhabitable or, for example, when clients are buying genuinely below market value, say, for example, in an auction-type position. Um, whereby the, the, there is a genuine discount to the value. Um, the Bridge to Let facility, we, we arranged um, two for a very good client of ours recently, where the, the lender will lend up to 70% uh, of the value, provided it doesn't exceed 90% of the purchase price. Um, the interest element, uh, in other words, the, the, the interest-only element is retained whereby the um, actually structured over a nine-month period, uh, this particular loan. So the nine-month interests were uh, included within the loan facility, which was capped at 70%, and in effect, that allowed the person buying the property nine months to do up the property, uh, refurbish it to the way in which he wanted without having cash flow going out to the lender on a monthly basis, which from his point of view was absolutely essential for the project.
2: Fantastic. Pres- presumably the sort of the bridge element at the beginning is a little
3: bit more expensive than the buy let that you'd it, eventually... It is, it is yeah. There's, no, there's absolutely no question it is more expensive because, I, again, from a lending perspective, it's it's regarded as riskier, and therefore the reward element from the bank's point of view is is going to be higher. But it's not dramatically higher. Um, you know, gone are the days when you would pay a bridging company two percent per month, open-ended. This particular facility was secured at 0.95 percent per month uh, with a one and a half percent arrangement fee, and interestingly. Um, um, from from my point of view, they they normally have a minimum loan of fifty thousand. But because the client was buying two properties, one was significantly higher as far as a loan was concerned than fifty. The other one actually fell below fifty. The lender was quite happy to consider both. The, gosh, an intelligent banking! Like yes. that,
2: that, a brand name, isn't it? I like, thought they were desperate that at the time. Bank, it? Intelligent banking—it's
3: uh, unheard of, isn't it? But it makes sense. It, yeah, sense, it didn't, I mean, it wasn't dramatically lower than the 50,000 minimum ceiling, but the fact that they would actually um, you know, look at it manually with a real yeah. person rather than a computer saying no was yeah. uh, refreshing from a broken view. Absolutely, keyboard. absolutely.
2: So that's a perfect route, isn't it, for anybody who finds a low-value property or even a higher-value property, but it needs work doing to it, you yeah. can effectively take out a bridge, a bridge being a short-term loan, and then do the work But I suppose the beauty of this particular product, though, is that the bridge and the buy-to-let element are both provided by the same bank. Well,
3: they, they can be. Although you're not, you're not duty bound to use this particular bank's buy to facility. Oh, there's, there's okay. no restrictions. Um, I've actually got the offer in front of me right now. I, I'll not disclose any particular personal details, clearly. Mm-hmm. But, but one of the things which was extremely attractive for both me and the applicant was the fact there were absolutely no early repayment charges. So at the end of month nine or even at the end of month six, the client could uh, refinance with any mortgage lender, assuming it passed habitability, valuation, legals, etc. Uh, there were no ties to retain with this particular lender. So he could come back to me, and he will do, I'm pretty certain, and we'll look at the whole market at that point, and we'll recommend a, a remortgage route for him based on the most competitive product for his requirements. Well, wow. so that is really, really interesting. So
2: they provide the bridge for the expectation or the hope that you actually go on to a to that with them.
3: But if you don't, fair enough. Well, I suppose that's why they charge fees and a, a very high, uh, unperceived high monthly interest rate. They're getting rewarded for that element. Um, but they're, they're equally aware of the difficulties and the challenges of people remortgaging within the six months against enhanced values. So I think they're pretty safe and secure knowing that their client's going to be paying them interest for a minimum of six months. But at the end of that six-month period, the client can walk and refinance with another lender or indeed sell if he decides to cash in on his investment.
2: Yes, yes. So a lot more straightforward than trying to do it the way I was describing with a
3: normal buy-to-let, although that can work as well. Yeah, so, there's no doubt oh. there is a place for buy-to-let, and, and, and certainly from a cost point of view, uh, buy-to-let rates uh, are extremely competitive now and will mm-hmm. always be cheaper than uh, traditional bridging-type facilities.
2: Yes, indeed. So it worth talking to a good broker like yourself and looking at the figures and just seeing what's right for you at the time.
3: Yeah, I, I think, think it's potential. essential. Yeah, um, to to get to get somebody who's active in the market, looking at options and then recommending a solution for you, uh, yeah. I think is is, is um, could potentially save you a lot of time and a lot of money in the long run as well. Absolutely. So without giving away any any personal
2: details, you've got lots of clients who are doing this kind of stuff. Can you just give an example maybe of, of a couple of projects that your clients have done where they've used this kind of finance and what they were actually trying to achieve and maybe even some sort of headline figures? Yeah, no, not at not, not,
3: not all. Totally. In fact, I'll use this particular uh, example. Uh, a client, interestingly enough, bought, first one on me, an online auction, um, whereby he paid a 10% deposit, uh, which you would expect in a traditional auction uh, type sale. Uh, but as soon as the um, bid was accepted, um, the clock started ticking and he had 28 days to complete, uh, which we managed to do using the Bridge to Let um, route. Now, his first um, uh, uh, preference was for a buy to let purely from a cost perspective, but it, it soon became quite clear that habitability was going to be an issue for this particular property. Um, and from that point of view, the Bridge to Let worked fantastically well because... They could complete extremely quickly. There's not the same um, information requirements per se for a bridge to let uh, application as there would be a traditional buy to let application. And the bridging companies, surveyors were sent round. I think they inspected the property within a week. Um, they did uh, a current value, and they also did a post refurb value. Uh, it came in, This one of the properties came in slightly below their minimum loan requirements, um, but they were happy to consider this particular property, presumably because there was another bigger property included from the same client on a different transaction as well, which mm. certainly helped. Uh, and the whole um, transaction completed within 28 days, uh, and I suspect a buy-to-let mortgage companies or conveyancing might struggle to fulfill um, completion within 28 days.
2: Indeed. Now, I I think I know the particular lender you're talking about. I'm not going to mention them just in case. But one of the things which is very handy, as you've already alluded to, with bridging is that they don't necessarily look at you in the detail of a buy-to-let lender. They're much more concerned with the deal most of the
3: time, so I understand Yeah. I mean, they they do want to see um, session uh, information as any lender would. So it's not a blind or a non-status lend. Uh, They'll want to see a credit um, history profile uh, of the client. They'll also want to see a history of mortgage payments or previous loan commitments being paid and evidence of that, the income um, isn't necessarily a requirement or satisfaction because if you think about it, if they're retaining the interest, um, in effect, um, the, the, the affordability aspect is pretty much taken out of it initially during the initial loan tranche um, because they're, they're, in effect, taking the full nine months' interest in this particular case up front.
2: Yes,
3: yeah. yes. Yeah.
2: And as you said earlier, it's very handy for your cash flow if they're going to do that. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. So we've been thinking mainly, Alistair, about sort of lights refurbs, which the banks usually um, define as being, I I suppose, it doesn't need planning, it doesn't need building regs, and it probably looks like a kitchen, bathroom, carpets, decorating, minor works type thing. But there's going to be people listening to this who perhaps are going to go out and find bigger projects or properties which need more work doing to them, what the bank may call a heavy refurb.
3: And what, what sort of products are there out there for heavy refurbs? Well, you, you've got the you've got the traditional route of going through a high street lender, <coughs> whereby the commercial uh, divisions within the high street lenders will, will look at uh, uh, the proposal on a, on a development finance basis. Um, are quite top heavy as far as information requirements are concerned uh, and certainly initial costs are, are generally quite high for that type of project. But that's certainly um, for, for, for a viable uh, proposal. That's one option. The other option is if there's a, a, an element of timing or if the client doesn't necessarily have the typical third uh, contribution required, we can use non-status um, development bridging, whereby a, a significantly higher percentage, to up to 70%, is potentially available uh, through heavy, for, for a heavy refurb type bridging loan proposal, Peter.
2: Oh, right. And, and would they lend on the actual
3: cost of the works as well? I've like, um, uh, heard they, 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 will. Yeah, no, they, they, they potentially could. I mean, typically they'll release in tranches once each phase of the work is completed. They'll send around uh, the original valuer to value it at each different stage of the development. And if there's any uplift reflected in the valuation report, potentially tranche funding could be released um, on whatever the enhanced value is at that particular time.
2: Right, okay. But initially it's probably around about a 70% loan to value.
3: Certainly that's the highest we, we could obtain uh, for residential or commercial bridging uh, with an element of heavy reefer. Yes, 70% is typically the highest. We can also structure retained interest within the 70% though. So from a cash flow perspective, again, there isn't any monthly uh, cost during the development phase. And at the end of the development phase, the client's got the option to either refinance if they're looking to uh, hold on to the investment or sell.
1: So there you are. That's how you finance your refurbs. I think Alistair gave us some really great information there. If you want me to put you in touch with Anissa, don't forget to drop me an email. My email address is thepropertyteacher at gmail.com. And if you want to know a bit more about me, come to my website, which is thepropertyteacher.co.uk, and you'll find loads of resources there. You'll find my blog. You'll find some free resources. You'll find some paid resources. And by the way, if you want to sign up for my newsletter, you'll find a way. Uh, if you go to the top of the page, the homepage, the tabs there, you'll find a, a way to... Be able to enroll yourself onto my newsletter which comes out every Friday at about 9.30. So if you'd like that, then go there as well. Anyway, until next time, here's to successful property investing.
0: Hi, hey, it's Rob Moore here, and yes, I have hijacked this podcast. Um, because we're very excited to announce that we have the brand new Start Now, Get Perfect Later audiobook, which is now live. Uh, and so this brand new book, Start Now, Get Perfect Later, transcends everything we've ever taught. Because if there's one common thing in the last 12 years I've learned, helping, coaching, mentoring, teaching hundreds of thousands of people, starting in property and then business and then personal development and mindset and you know, starting up as an entrepreneur, it's not the skill set as such. It's usually I know what to do, but so why am I not doing it? I'm overwhelmed. I'm frustrated. Um, I've got a fear there. What if I get criticised? You know, what, what if I get found out? Or What if people don't think I've got enough credibility yet? There's various reasons why people know what to do and they aren't doing it. Um, and I think we're, we're all experiencing that as we grow and trying to go to new levels. Uh, not just people who are starting up, but even very successful people, even billionaires. Um, And one of my favourite quotes is, to know and not to do is not to know. So I've taken the 12 years experience here, helping property investors and business people and startup entrepreneurs and people who want a better life. And I've put that into this brand new book, which basically helps you take action and get things done that you know you should do and aren't doing and find out why you're not doing it and overcome that and do it. And it's not a long book like money. It's a a short, action-packed implementable book. Each chapter's just three or four pages. You read a chapter, you implement, you read a chapter, you implement, or you listen to a chapter, you implement. Um, and I've got some special bonuses in true uh, progressive style for launch day. So if you get the book on Audible now, everyone, regardless of whether you get in on launch day or not, will also get my other book, which I just released, which is called Routine Equals Results. So they're like a brother and sister book. Uh, and my publisher came up with a cool idea, which I thought, w- which was instead of Releasing the paperback book of Routine Equals Results and then in three months release the audiobook. Why don't we take both audio books and, and put them into one book? So give you two books for the price of one. So Start Now, Get Perfect Later and Routine Equals Results are both bundled into the Start Now, Get Perfect Later listing on Audible. So if you go to Audible um, or bit.ly forward slash S-N-G-P-L, Start Now, Get Perfect Later, so bit.ly forward slash S-N-G-P-L, there's two books for the price of one in that listing. Now, if you're listening to this um, audio and the book launch is done and it's finished, you can still get those two books. However, if you go now and you're before the end of launch day, the first 256 are going to get in a private accountability accountability WhatsApp group with me. WhatsApp can only hold 256 people in one group. That's why it has to be limited. First 256, you get me, my mobile number and me keeping you accountable to your business and personal goals. So you might want to go now and do that. And also everyone will get my brand new six month online business coaching program. This is a test. Obviously, I've coached a lot of people setting up and scaling their businesses, but I've never done an online coaching program, sort of like a once a month for six months. Um, So I'm going to be doing that's going to be live. Um, to teach the six main facets and assets of building a a business from the ground up, and then extended Q&As. So you get all of that just for getting Start Now, Get Perfect Later on Audible. So go to bit.ly forward slash S-N-G-P-L now. And thank you.